Eddie, let me tell you, it feels fantastic to go on vacation. I love going on vacation with you, JT, and Cuba is a beautiful place. I mean, with all this excellent food, high-end wine, and not to mention these beautiful women, you better not get in any trouble in here. Well, I think trouble is exactly what we need. Wait a second, did you just see that? I think that was... Yes, it is me, Jean-Luc Godard. Hello. Wow, it's a true honor, Jean-Luc. But I, I thought you were dead. Oh, no, 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 no. You know how the media is. Uh, what's that you're working on there, JL? I just saw the Fable Mans, and it inspired me to write a review. Oh, wow, yeah. Let me, uh, let's see what you got so far. After years full of deceit and lies, the repulsive Spielberg releases The Fable Man. And once said that most Hollywood movies are made by lawyers and agents, well, Steve finally made one for the lawyers and agents. Not a, not a bad start, right? Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's pretty funny. The truth is in all things, even partly in error. Yet Stephen continues on about fables. It reminds me of some other fabrications. The fable of the Holy Land called Israel and the harsh truth that the Palestinians have to face. Same if Fableman cares not of the Palestinians, but more of the Californians. JL, I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to say here. Sometimes it seems like fables is all they have. When it comes to the persecution of Kyrie Irving, their tears are at the ready. But when it's time for Americans to face their own punishment for war crimes on September 11th, the Fablemans are nowhere to be found. Okay. Well, you know, look, Gazard, it's, uh, you're, you're my favorite filmmaker, and it's been a pleasure to meet you, and JT and I have to go. Oh, oh okay, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll see you around. Jesus like fucking Christ, man. Look, all I can say, he's still got it. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. Wait, I thought you were Jean-Luc Godard. No, I mean that. I mean, I hey, maybe one day, but uh, you know, I I I, I, I wish uh, I, you guys met him, right? You guys were telling me about that off. Yeah, no, we're not going to nice. talk about the thing we do. Let's just start the episode. I was yeah, uh, Cuba. Fourth... You guys went to Cuba. I didn't get to go. It's the fourth. <laughs> no, it's the fifth, rather. Uh, double feature of the uh, reunion tour. Yes, it is our our last episode. Of course, we were talking to you about the sight and sound list. Uh, but now, that now was that, a, that was a hit episode, not yeah, to interrupt. Wow. Yeah, look but at the numbers now that like the time has passed on. Don't say that. <laughs> wow. Look uh, at the numbers on that one. Ooh, that's a nice one. <laughs> no, but like now that time has passed, that was a week ago. It's like nobody's talking about sight and sound yeah, anymore. That's right. News. That's all news. <laughs> like for sure. nobody. If you go on film Twitter right now, nobody's talking about it. So I, uh, I went that's, to that's in the dust. I went to Subway, tried to strike up a conversation, you know, sandwich artist. You didn't know. 
you know, on my cab ride home from the airport yesterday, uh, and no bit, not from Cuba, uh, from Dallas, Texas, uh, oh, okay. uh, my cab ride home from the airport, it was like 3 a.m. and the dude was listening to the local news and like after a story about Griffith Park getting rid of the ponies, he was like, uh, British magazine, Sight and Sound, puts out a list every 10 years of the greatest film and you're not going to believe what's number one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I swear to God, I, I thought I was just sleepy. But I swear to God, he called it John Gilmore. John Gilmore. <laughs> he said, John Gilmore. Oh, a movie about a woman from Brussels. <laughs> She's from Brussels. And uh, yeah, I don't, what's the, that's her address? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like, that is like all he said. Like it was just, and then there was like a, a brief clip from like the guy at Sight and Sound saying, you know, we worked really hard this time around on the magazine. And like a five second clip. It was, yeah, it was we very funny. Really hard. You just counting, counting shit. <laughs> Fucking, it's not that hard. <laughs> But anyway, this week, we are not talking about lists. We're talking about The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer from 1928. That is where we are in timeline A. We are in the tail end of the silent era as we travel back and forth through time in this reunion tour. And in timeline B, oh, what a time it is. Uh, What is it, 2011 to 2013? But the, the film we're talking about is from 2012. We're talking about The Master. By Paul Thomas Anderson. The first time we've talked about a PTA other than for a new release episode on LP. But nice. yeah, I think he's my favorite director. We've never done like an old movie episode on. And the master's only 10 years old. But like, you we know, didn't do Inherent Vice. No, we talked about Inherent Vice on our best movies uh, of the okay. 21st century or whatever. I feel like I conflate some of those with like we did an episode on that. But no, I feel like PTA is at this point, And there were a few people who had this crown before, but. I think uh, PTA is the person that we talked about like the most without doing an episode on before we did the licorice pizza one. Um, so we got to give him some more shine. Yeah, right? let's, let's give him some love. Yeah. Um, but before he gets any love, you, you can wait your turn in timeline B. Yeah. We're going all the way back to the tail end of the silent era for the passion of Joan of Arc. Um, this was, of course, a sight and sound film. Uh, it, and it deserves to be, right? This is like an all-timer. This is, you know, Carl Theodore Dreyer's epic uh, that was kind of in response or at least kind of sparked by the sainthood of Joan of Arc in France. Uh, you know, France had Joan of Arc fever in the 20s. They were like, this bitch was sick. So... <laughs> is that what happened? Like, uh, yeah, no, li- <laughs> like literally. It was like, a, there was like Joan of Arc revival. Like, like people like- were, people were like... She was sick. Like, like they're going we, through the history books, and they're yeah, like, they were like, "What about this Joan? Can we, we make did her, her dirty. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. got to be a saint. Yeah, I mean, she, had oh, already, so she was already a folk legend. Not a folk legend. That's a fucking yeah. stupid way of saying it. But hood legend. like, yeah, she was. She was definitely <laughs> a French hood legend. Um, but they then the church had to step in and be like, she really was legit. Like, so it was kind of like writing their wrongs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and then so they have Dreyer come in from Denmark. I think the last thing he had done before this was Master of the House. Master of the House. Lights down, chorus boy. So he came over from Denmark and they built this enormous set, uh, just this like fucking slab of cement, this octagonal slab of cement meant to, you know, replicate what the prisons and courts were back then and all the rooms were actually connected. They didn't like, you know, shoot it like in a studio where, uh, you know, you're on a soundstage and every room technically is like right next to each other. It's not a real house. Um, They really like 
built that shit out as much as they could and it's such a detailed set and there's miniatures at some points and you don't even see it it's a fucking yeah. it's a film made out of close-ups it's that's one of the funniest <laughs> things ever there's like three shots where you see I'll- beyond like you know a medium shot uh, uh revealing the set and i i actually really love that about it because i was paying attention to like where is the set decoration in this movie um you know because so many of these are like so abstract at the background almost and it's like each piece that reveals a little bit of reality to the set adds so much weight because it is a film about people's faces yeah and like you know it's it's so well thought out like the the sinking of images and whatnot and like you know you know what it decides to do with each face and whatnot and but you know it's kind of surprising i didn't know that that you know you said that you know there's this huge set that they built for it because that that is really funny because i was just thinking it's like this is kind of amazing like people in a room yeah <laughs> the entire I mean, time like, you know the, the I mean? brisson version yeah. of this story is very similarly people talking in a room and you could tell it's just like a couple small sets like not that big of a deal you yeah know? but it's it's funny because it's like you that's like a genre of movie right when you know sound in the sound era, right you like a 12 angry men or something like that you know it's an about the the moral discussions that come up and you know there's there's, you know, that's not really what this makes this movie great necessarily. It's, no, it's, it's I mean, like one of those movies. Yeah, it's one of those movies, but it's like, it's you know, with the lens of like silent cinema filmmaking, and it's you know benefits from that. Yeah, I mean, if you pitch, I'm gonna do a people in a room talking movie, but it's gonna be silent. Like that sounds stupid, but that just goes to show what this film is all about in its aesthetic aims. JT, had you seen this film before? Uh, yeah, it had been quite a few years since I had first watched this, and I was really uh, excited to revisit it. And I feel like, I don't know, sort of to expand upon what you guys are talking about, like, I think I was just blown away by, like, how much you can get out of, like, that type of, like, I don't want to say simplicity, but it is. Like, there's, like, a very bare-bones style to it, and it's just, like... By having the actors, like, not wear makeup, like, just choosing, like, the perfect angle for, like, a close-up, you can really get, like, ominous, twisted performances. And then, like, what we do see of the set, the parts of the set that I do remember, like, one sequence, which I'm sure we'll, like, talk about, like, the torture room that we see briefly. And even that is, like, mostly relegated to, like, close-ups of like torture instruments the movie works on such like a key like simple level there that is so it just masterful what you said uh about no makeup uh very true this movie uses you know lighting and angles to you know uh make people's faces look gross basically uh this is a film full of also disgusting faces <laughs> you know you have <laughs> you have the legendary performance by falconetti the beautiful wonderful falconetti as joan of Arc. she's a theater actress she thinks movies are a trifle you know <laughs> uh but she does this one and she was like yeah whatever uh even though it's like an intense process and everything she couldn't have been that you know dismissive of too it. cool for school yeah. about it yeah. um but she gives one of the all-time performances of silent cinema and of all cinema Um, But the guys that she is, you know, being cut against in reverse shot, these guys that are questioning her, the way Dreyer shoots them, man, they are fucking goblins. They are (laughs) absolute 
demons. Like, yeah. I, I really love how he just, it, it's a film about ugly dudes as much as it is a film about, you know, uh, as Dreyer put it, uh, a hymn to the triumph of soul over life. Uh, it's also just about, like, how ugly dudes are. Totally, like, it is, I mean, you know what I was saying about what he does with the faces, right? You know, it's like Joan of Arc is kind of given you know, a more respectful angle almost, or, you know, kind of given, um, you know, just through the visual language of the movie, you could tell, you know, this is the sympathetic one, you know, her crying and whatnot and how long Dreyer will hold on her. And then, yeah, it's like, uh, there's like a leering funhouse quality to the way he shows, you know, the judges and, or the clerics or whatever, you know, these religious men, I guess. Kind of like you'll get sometimes like that, the shot, like it goes uh, horizontal across all their faces. Yeah, and, there's and, a lot of very, yeah. very quick tracking shots in this. Like, yeah. I mean, I just, we've talked about it before. I, I really adore the camera movement of the silent era. It just feels very free, kind of. Totally. And this is one of the great, ex- I, I forgot how great of an example this one was. Uh, you know, because that's not usually what I think about. I usually think about, like, uh, Murnau or something like that. Um, but this one, like, he is swinging that camera all over the place. There's perfect compositions, too. But they're, like, these perfect fluid compositions. Yeah. Uh, there, there's this one where, like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as you said, the camera is moving horizontal back and forth maybe on a rail system or something because it's a a high angle looking down and it's not actually tracking a guy's motion it's like in response to his motion and the camera moves almost into nothingness and then back onto him yeah and it's such a strange um camera movement setup for like camera movement being such a new thing clearly people are experimenting with it as they're experimenting with film form in general in the silent era but i i feel like you know, for as much as this film gets its credit for the way it captures performance and uh, the the you know the way it captures faces, uh, I think camera movement is a very underrated element of this movie. I I agree. I think there's like the word that comes to mind. I feel like is like subtlety to the movement mm-hmm. because again, like I don't think like I mean there's some like shots that where there's quite a bit of movement, but I don't think it's like it's not of the style of like drawing all that much attention mm-hmm. to itself, but I still think it creates like this dizzying effect where like you're mostly like moving around the men. And I feel like you get this like sense of Joan, just like in the center of it all, just with these hideous leering men, just cir- just circling around her and overwhelming her. And I think that just even the slightest bit there, because it, the movement even while it's just like a, a little bit, I feel like is so like perfectly attuned to making it, I don't know, just like adding that unease to the film. I think that's maybe like you think of like what's visually impressive about a lot of earlier silent films or whatever, or like maybe someone like the the German, uh, was it expressionist, yeah. impressionist, what, you know, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Uh, German expressionists. Uh, yeah, yeah, expressionists. <laughs> Like, uh, they're very, like you said, you know, showy, and we're not using that in a derogatory way, but, you know, they're very, like, there's a lot of, like, visual impressiveness in a grand way, and in this one, it is, like, you know, it definitely goes for the close-up thing and, like, you know, puts puts a lot of its weight on that, but it is kind of, there is something kind of free and fluid to way to the way the camera moves in this that's kind of, like, unexpected, but totally, like, makes sense, isn't, like, 
abstracting things further even mm-hmm. or, you know in a way it's and i think that's why it's its legacy has lasted so strong because it almost has like a modern sense of like subtlety you know what i mean yeah no totally and i think why it lasts so long and this is kind of my my big brain thesis of what this should have been a double feature of oh um the reason it lasts so long is because the most timeless thing that you can possibly capture on film even more than mother nature is the human face that is the most timeless thing you can possibly capture on film you zoom out at all and you reveal period detail period goes away when it's just a human face there's nothing it's a completely timeless thing we're on the extended clip bang bus right now flying in time between 1928 (laughs) 2012 and 2023 uh by the time you hear this episode no it'll come out before then uh but like uh and and we're just looking at close-ups of faces we're just i'm looking at malcolm plenty of famous (laughs) close-ups on the bang bus Uh, oh yes oh yes i mean the headshots (laughs) on the walls tell it all (laughs) Uh, no, but really, uh, it, it made me think of like, what about Siming Lang, your face? I, I was, you know, when I was like, t- when we we're talking about this at the beginning of the episode, I was thinking, I was like, oh yeah, there's that movie Siming Lang made that's just literally people's faces yeah. for like long digital takes, like I think maybe like eight to and the ten last of one's them. Lee Kang Shang. Yeah, the god. That's that, Dude, that, that. That is like it you is. You put a you put a ten minute shot of Lee Kang Shang in close up, just his face on a screen. He's done it before. It's like I know, and it's just like obviously there's extra textual stuff there with yeah. Sai and Lee, but like that is a face that you can just put in close up for ten minutes and it's timeless. Yeah, we know what it is because we have the context of having seen Vive La More all the way through days. Um, but like, I, I feel like the, this and, uh, the way that he captures his face in that and yeah, in that stray dogs shot too, um, it really, the, the timelessness of the human face is a, a beautiful element of cinema. It is, it is funny not to talk about your face for too much, but it is like, it, it is like, I think like you really do like need that, that, uh, knowledge of size work when you're seeing your face. Cause it mm-hmm. is like, I, I remember like the slight like energy in the theater when it was Lee King. Everyone's like, Oh, nice. You know what I mean? It's like, um, yeah. What a, what a, you know, two great guys. Yeah. Two great guys. And uh, you know, but now we're back to some bad guys. The guys that yeah. wanted to kill Joan of Arc for what being religious. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, one more. What thought. is this a movie about dime square Twitter? All these religious girls. True. And they're under trial for, you know, everyone's like, you're a fake Catholic. That would be but, pretty good, but but, in, but in, in this reality, we are right. As the clerics, the clerics are right in this situation. No sympathy for I'm them. I'm looking at Malcolm in close up right now, and that face is timelessly true. I, I just, it is like God. I really could be a cleric in this movie for sure. I could, I definitely could be like, just be like, no, no, no. You know, you're you're being bad. You know, get, get the right lighting and angle on. Why don't you, you wear yeah. Why don't you wear dresses instead of having a boy's haircut? Huh? What about the guy with? <laughs> What about the guy with the spikes on the sides of his hair? <laughs> that guy rules. Very punk rock, yeah. It's cool. Not well, all I mean, those not all those guys are bad. <laughs> uh, to like speak to the content itself, uh, like the narrative content of the film. That was one thing that like and again, I think it's less of like an essential question for me, uh but m- more of like thinking through like what is like drier like what is his perspective on this event 
and I was going in with like Ordet because I was like, does like are we like as a viewer, are you supposed to like believe Joan's story here that like she like was compelled by God or saw visions? And I mean, obviously, I think that's like relatively inessential. I think what like the most moving aspect of it is that like she believes and obviously this is like a, a sham trial like put against her built to shame her. But I do think that informed with like, I don't know, or debt that comes later in uh, Dreyer's work. I, I, I do think he is very much so on the side of that, yeah. like sort of astounding religious faith. And I think you have, a compelling sort of clash in sensibilities there because this is sort of like a progressive, I don't know, sort of like a believe women kind of a tale, which is like, I I don't know. I feel like out of sorts for like 27, but also it's like believe women in terms of like her having like a, like a more conservative, like, I mean, not conservative, but like the fact that it's so heavily like tied to faith, like her having a religious vision and I think that, like, I don't know, creates an interesting, like, I don't know. It, it certainly left me with a lot to think about, like, in terms of the machinations of what is going on in the narrative. And just, like, obviously I don't think we're religious boys here, but I love movies about faith. Yeah. And, like, particularly faith being tested because it's such, like, I, I, I don't know, it's such a profound thing. No, you're on the money of the film believing in it because the biggest thing is that this is a played as a passion play. It's a trial, but it's played as a passion play. That's why it's called Passion of Joan of Arc. Brisson's is called The Trial of Joan of Arc. That is the key <laughs> difference there. Bra- you know, I haven't uh, seen that one. Uh, Dr- Dreyer says, you know, it's a it, it hymn to the human soul over or the triumph of the human soul over life, uh, saying like, you know, your soul can transcend your living form. Um, but also, like, Brisson's is about that in terms of, like, human suffering, you know, because Brisson's isn't about, like, how great our God is. Yeah. It's it's about just, like, m- like most Brisson films. Yeah, I would, it's, I wouldn't a, expect it's a that. film of suffering. It's a yeah. film of austere suffering and human perseverance. And, um, it, you know, not all of Brisson's are about that. But uh, it's, I don't know, I, I think that's the key difference here in terms of this as a religious film, which I think it absolutely is a religious film. And that adds to the feeling it gives. I mean, I, yeah. I've i come to really like the Brisson version, which is very dry. Um, but I this is just an immaculate film. Yeah, to like to speak on the faith aspect of the film, that's always kind of been like a, a reoccurring theme, you know, and kind of religion. Like the, the way the church does it is like corrupt. And like, you know, where the true faith lies is in the believers, usually like kind of like the nuns and the women mm-hmm. who, you know, were are kind of... Uh, restricted from like positions of power within the church you know I think that's like a classic uh, kind of way to express like kind of a you know that's a progressive sentiment for back then you know what I mean kind of like you know the nuns should run the church or whatever yeah um, so we don't need to really go through what the narrative is. You know, the story of Joan of Arca. <laughs> She's persecuted for having a, a quote unquote, you know, false connection, a blasphemous uh, connection with God uh, who told her to, you know, do stuff <laughs> told her to be a badass uh no but it's a it's a it's a very you know obviously uh 
passionate telling of this this classic story and uh it's a it's a story as old as time there's so many reworkings of this throughout history of course uh whether it's actually like joan of arc or a stand-in kind of and this is still the most essential one for a reason and it truly is that as you said you know it's what we started talking about and what we just talked about it's the faces and it's the faith and i think it's you know Hey, the eyes, kind of the window to the soul, if you think about it. There you go. (laughs) There you go. I think that's... But I, I, and that just speaks to Falconetti's performance. Yeah. It has to be the most expressionistic facial performance I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And um, nothing new under the sun claiming it as that. I think many people would agree, but it really is that great. That's the thing, like with this movie, it is, it's pretty... It's pretty simple when you get down to it, you know what I mean? And I think... Yeah, there's not the, much narrative to talk yeah. about. It's a very... It's a straightforward film that just keeps pummeling until yeah. it's ending. I, I guess, you know, just like kind of another random thought. It is like... It does give you that uh, good feeling of like being judged. It does... Like it expresses that, yeah. you know, with all the kind of things we're talking about. The the sneering faces and that you know, the angles. You kind of... You know, it kind of starts, I, I think the movie starts like, I kind of like how it starts where it's kind of going through the documents, the papers, not a very even notable scene. And then you're kind of like, you're kind of sitting where Joan of Arc sits for a lot yeah. of the movie. You're kind of looking upwards at these guys and you're like, you know, damn, damn this male judgment, it's hard to take in. <laughs> I guess that's what it feels like on the other side, you know. <laughs> so when it's time to get to the execution, it is such a freak show man when you get out there like first there's that quick wide shot high angle of like the corridors and all these people flooding in like the freaks are at it they just want to watch an execution (laughs) it's so funny because like that's why it's all freaks there because dryer's judging them for wanting to take pleasure in seeing joan get executed so everyone that's watching her get executed is just a fucking freak uh and it's an incredible you know ending of course there's that one shot where it must have been a stand-in or uh, not a stand-in, but it must have been like a prop where it looks like her face is completely blackened, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the most really sad and at the same time horrifying things. Um, right before, there's also a cutaway to a baby sucking on a nipple, fucking jumps off the nipple and looks over to see if <laughs> jo- Joan is dying yet takes a beat and then goes back to the nipple and it's so fucking funny um but you know one man says it you have burned a saint and then utter chaos ensues and uh it's it's just what an ending yeah. what an ending no i mean i don't really have any I'm, jt you got anything more to say jt any, any thoughts on the ending and overall on the movie and a score um yeah i don't know it's it feels obvious to say but it's like just one of the most powerful and like tragic endings because i feel like even like i don't know i what i love about the truly amazing films about faith like um to like a contemporary analog i feel like uh, scorsese's silence mm-hmm. is another like powerful one in this vein is that like you cannot believe at all, but like the movie will win you over to like the earnestness in which the character believes and you'll be able to accept the reality of the film there. And it's just so like, I I don't know, like tragic and horrifying to witness like 
um, like an innocent person, like be persecuted and murdered. Like it's, it is very graphic on that sense. And it's just boiled down to the simplest level where it's just like, you see the face of someone who truly believes and is like punished for that. So I'm going to go five bullets. I mean, to talk about some specifics that I feel like we didn't mention, like like the unpleasantness of some of the details is just like, I think after she like faints and is sort of like brought to like the bed, they like want her to like write her confession in her like uh, her blood. Mm -hmm. um, but like before that, like the sequence where they're like showing her the torture room and like what could happen to her. And like you sort of get this sequence like edited together where you see like the spinning of that like wheel with spikes and everything. And like the intensity like builds there in the edit really well. And like I think it builds to her like fucking like she drops the pen that she's gonna like sign a confession with that they're trying to like they're, that they're pushing for in that moment. And I just like I, I don't know. There is so much again like intensity there just built from simplicity and those are not even like close-ups of like faces they're close-ups of like instruments of torture um and I, I don't know yeah five bullets i think i always said that but five bullets it's just a true blue masterpiece hell yeah i i'm also going five bullets on this i you know i saw this for the first time when i was uh, a, a budding cinephile i you know i like movies but i wasn't uh i wasn't going through the uh the old timey stuff yet the, yeah the french movies um but yeah so it, like even back then it did such a number on me realizing how you know just the way that you light and frame a face can convey so much and then with you know almost a decade later revisiting it just completely blew me away um you know dryer's the god five bullets malcolm yeah, I'm going to go five bullets as well. I think I'm four and a half in matter bullets, but, it's, you know, I can't be so stingy all the time. You, you know? Look, you gave four <laughs> to greed. You got to give this a five. Yeah, you yeah, make yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, you know. But uh, it is like, I feel like this is a good, like, if, you know, I'm sure plenty of people listening, they're open to silent movies, hopefully. But, it, it like, I feel like this and City Lights are kind of like the ultimate, like, silent movies to show people, you know, who might have an interest i don't know maybe you shouldn't be convincing people to watch silent movies if they don't want to watch them you know, that's a good but uh but if if you were in that sort of scenario you know i i feel like these were the two i'd recommend and you know it, it is funny like i feel like um you know because he is like uh a lot of the guys you know, the clerics faces you know are very like ugly or just kind of strange or whatever but, like, I, I feel like there's a couple angles where just dryers, like, on top of them and they, like, look up or something. And I'm like, this kind of looks like if these were, like, attractive, you know, women, this would be, like, a beauty commercial in mm. terms of, like, the detail <laughs> and, like, the swish of the hair and whatnot. It is, like... He's putting all that effort <laughs> into ugliness. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a good way to put it. Um, so, yeah, I, it is, I, it is you know, it's kind of a unique film. Like, there's not a lot of movies, I feel like, that operates in this visual mode that I can think of. And I feel like because you know people wouldn't you know even dare to copy it because it's has such a reputation um i'm sure there are other movies but like that but like i i it, it really feels unique in that it's it kind of invented a certain style and no one's really tried to copy it yeah very good 
Very good. <laughs> very good. Wow. Very good. <laughs> wow. Very good discussion. Wow. We did very good job. We'll be right back on extended clip. <laughs> Please bless Mama and Papa and Bartrand and Coco Chanel. Joan of Arc, I am your god. Hi. I have chosen you to lead the French army to victory over the English invaders. But I'm just a little girl. I know. I have three eyes. Now get cracking. God wants you to lead the French army to what? And we're back on extended clip. It's everybody's favorite segment, Malcolm in the Middle. We're filling in our gap years here on the extended clip reunion tour. Timeline A. It was, uh, where, where, where am I again? 1927 to 29. What, what, what gaps are we filling in here? What, who's I'll, got a 1927 I'll film? go first. Yeah, I, I got 27. I went with Seventh Heaven um, by Frank Borzage, the director. Frank see, Borzage. I thought it was Borzage. Borzage. I don't see. I don't know. I, we had this conversation, I think, last time we talked about a movie <laughs> of his, and we never, we clearly have never come to a conclusion. Well, it's, it's, you don't have to worry because these names are never said aloud, hey, look, usually. As, as he said, history is made at night, and tonight I'm making history. It's Borzage. Borzage? No, I'm going Borzage. You're never, never going to talk to a real person or a woman about these names. Yeah. So it, like, doesn't matter. Pronounce it as you choose. True. That's I. That's the thing. I only con- uh, care about grammar and pronunciation when I'm spinning good game. You know, I gotta be correct. But um, <laughs> um, seventh heaven. I I did a. I want to call him Borzage. I'm just gonna call him Borzage. I did this one because I I really love his movies and I feel like we probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't be represented like in one of the main films. And uh, he kind of he kind of has this theme. He kind of like is one of those directors that kind of does the same thing almost in every movie, where it's kind of about um, like a budding romance that's kind of ultimately doomed by something and whatnot. And you know he's he's so good at it. I mean, all of it's very moving. And I think Seventh Heaven is kind of the one he might have got the most recognition for. And it's it's a pretty simple movie. It's a uh, this um, guy who works in the sewer. He has dreams of working on, you know, being a street sweeper one day, tired of working in the sewer. And he's out eating on his lunch break or whatever. And uh, there's this uh, street prostitute named, uh, well, played by Janet Gaynor. And basically she's being beat up by her sister and whatnot. And, you know, he steps in, interferes, and is like, it's like, if you, you know, don't beat up your sister or else, you know, you'll be sorry. Um, and, you know, there. Thus be kind of begins a romance because it, there's this kind of thing where the cops come by, so he pretends to be married to her, you know, in order to show she doesn't go to jail. And there's like, you know, the logic there is like, well, now you got to stay on me in case the cops check in on me, you know. And uh, it's it kind of just does the romance stuff very, very sweet, very like a, there's kind of like a theme in like a like a Borzage romance where. Uh, it's kind of like they burrow themselves away from like kind of the craziness of the world. It's like, you know, we just got to be alone, us two. And then, you know, some sort of external force rips them out of that. In this case, I think it is, uh, there's some sort of war, uh, that's going on that, uh, you know, Chico, the main, main character he's drawn away from. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I, you know, although I, I, I kind of went in blind, I feel like I've been for this segment, I've been, Rewatching movies I'd seen before, I'd never seen this one before, 
I, I'd say I there's a lot of good like visually impressive stuff, especially with like the war sequences. It's kind of like what you were talking about with the the Passion of Christ. You see, you know, all this like scurriness and all you know, just these crazy, you know, people out. Just you really see the chaos of it, and like, uh, you know, in those moments, he kind of likes to go wide and show like the the massiveness of it, and like just the tons and tons of people, and it's very like visually impressive. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think, uh, and there's a couple, like, fun visual sequences, like, Chico, he, like, lives seven stories up, so, like, you kind of get, like, that shot where, like, it's just tracking slowly upwards and upwards as they go, like, through flights of stairs and whatnot, and, you know, there, it, there's just kind of fun things like that. I think, um, I do like, I think, luck, not uh, Lucky, Street Angel. He has a movie called Street Angel that came out basically a year later. That's basically kind of the, the same, same idea, <laughs> <laughs> like kind of like a guy on the street finds a woman and they kind of. Yeah. But in in that case, it's this guy who works in the circus. So he takes mm-hmm. her along on the circus, and they, you know, there's the the ups and downs of circus life interfere with their romance. And uh, uh, but both great movies, uh, and I love Borzage, so I just had to give him some a shout out. Nice. Uh, JT, do you have one from 1929? Yes, wow, that's impressive. Exactly, I do. Um, I uh, am doing uh, Man with a Movie Camera uh, by Ziga Vertov. I feel like, um, I don't know, I just wanted to hit up uh, early Soviet filmmakers. I feel like it's an important part of history that uh, feels necessary to bring up if God, we're doing you're such like a tanky. Uh, 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 um, no, not not exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, he's just culturally but, aware. Yeah, no, I um, I'm reading like uh, at at the moment like a, a history of uh, the Russian Revolution and just sort yeah. of like uh, the arc of. Um, the USSR in general. Um, and I don't know. I thought it's like, I mean, I haven't seen many early Soviet films. I would like to explore more, but it feels like an interesting watershed moment um, on like two fronts because I think a lot of these filmmakers are experiencing like a social moment where things are radically and drastically changing and then they also have this like new art form and you have like this sort of like beautiful synthesis that happens there where it's just like oh man like we like movie cameras are a thing like it's like the people's like art tool like we're gonna do all this crazy shit and like vertov is like talking about like the kino eye it's like obviously we know the camera is an eye it's a penis it's a whole (laughs) bunch of things it's whatever you want it to be yeah exactly and just like camera be a pussy (laughs) <laughs> asking the hard questions here <laughs> um but no it's like it's uh it's it's an exciting time i feel like the soviet like film early soviet filmmakers have because they're dealing with all this social change and i feel like it explodes into their art form and like man with a movie camera i feel like is like called like a documentary but is like much more like 
stylish than you would ever, uh, I feel like, consider, like... Oh, it's completely like con- staged too. Like, like contemporary it, documentary work, and like it's yeah, also no, totally and it's staged. like it's a city yeah, exactly. Symphony. It's a yeah. fraud yeah, yeah. documentary. Yeah, it's it is a fraud documentary, uh, but it is yeah, it's a it's a city symphony, and it's perfect yeah, no, it, it, exactly. And it's just like you have like a whole bunch of just like people, like I, I don't know, you watch life explode in a city. Um, and just the way he's like experimenting with like visual like overlays there there's at one point you like you see this fucking like crazy little cameraman go everywhere he's like (laughs) on top of the city like towering over buildings he's little teeny tiny in a glass of beer like it's just crazy with that shit and this movie is just like overflowing with like enthusiasm and just energy um and life and i love that uh about the picture and yeah, I, I I don't know. It's just documenting like a very important time is also like sort of musing about th- th- this new relatively like new art form and like what they can do with it. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. Man with the movie camera is great. Um, I, I feel like Canon classic certainly for a reason. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, I still should see more early Soviet filmmakers to get a better understanding of it, but great time. All right. That's that for timeline A for this week. Next week, 1930 to 32. Timeline B, 2011. Wow. What a what a difference uh, near yeah. century makes, right? From a man with a movie camera to a man who has this pretty cheap but good movie camera and makes a lot of them hong sang su 2011 he gave us a little double shot uh he gave us one of his best movies one of the best movies ever the day he arrives he also gave us a 30 minute film called list uh list you know we were just talking about this list last week i love making lists hong sang su loves making lists he had a great sight and sound top 10 list Um, List is a fantastic little treat of a 30-minute film where, you know, few kind of regular Hong, not not the the most regular of regular Hong actors, but, uh, you know, a couple familiar faces go in on, you know, a little uh, list-making, dream-walking conversation. It's just, it's it's what you expect from Hong Sang-soo. It's it's a very it's one of his light comedies but at the same time it has the the weight of its structural conceit um you know really weighing in on you more than most of his other films because of the list slash dream structure uh the list is what the character wants to do on a nice day just a list of things to do one of them if i recall correctly is try a new way to brush your teeth and uh, it's very funny when you see her try to brush her teeth a new way. <laughs> That's all I could say about that. Um, but I do remember uh, Peter Labuza comparing this to Renoir, and I felt that was very apt. Uh, it's just like, it reminds me of A Day in the Country, and especially there's, there's this great panning shot where it goes from two characters talking, 180-degree pan to a perfect composition of a boat on a wa- on the water, and it looks like a painting, and it's just perfect. Um the day he arrives, everyone knows that's one of the best Hong Sang Soo movies. You gotta watch it. Yeah, it's on it's on streaming. You can check it out. Or you can just ask me for a Google Drive link if you really need one. 
Uh, Hong, I'm sorry, but <laughs> come on. Uh, people got to see their mov- your movies, bro. Uh, 2013, here's someone who doesn't need any help. Martin Scorsese. Uh, best He's got a little too much help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but this guy not. dropped one of his best <laughs> mo- one of the best movies he ever made, which means yeah. it's one of the best movies ever. The Wolf of Wall Street. We got to get that wolf off of Wall Street, man. Yeah. He's causing a ruckus. Uh, the classic... The classic line on his epics, you know, that uh, these guys get what's coming to them because they're gangsters. Uh, the obvious allegory there is that this is the same arc, but, you know, the worst version of a thug is a financial goon. Uh, and that that's why America is what it is. It's not mm. because of gangsters. You think you think America is bad because of gangsters? You're a fucking it's, idiot. It's because of the Republicans <laughs> and the, the Democrats. Yeah. Those are the real gangs. Real gangs running America. Importantly, it's the rich people. That's yeah, that's really well, of course. It's the people who are people who control the money. Uh, and uh, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is just such an incredible indictment of basically late capitalist culture and uh, just like you know, obviously it's a period piece, but it leads us right into our contemporary era. And the ending is one of the most haunting things ever. I think it's it's funny. It's a it's a punchline uh, where he's just back. You know doing the sell me this pen routine as a motivational speaker and then you just get that shot of the crowd looking in like a bunch of dunces just like oh yeah well, okay cool okay <laughs> uh because it's like that's all people want to do is learn how to get rich quick obviously and uh it's yeah it's people like him that create our horrible society where human nature becomes oh i need to get rich quick don't i gluttonous greed yeah i need to Acquire money at all costs. Yeah, you know, acquire money at all costs. That is <laughs> a fantastic way to put. I wonder. It. I wonder. I think you could probably get Jordan Belford on cameo. I bet he's on cameo for like two fifty, maybe or something like that. <laughs> but the the fucking filmmaking gusto of Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> is ridiculous. It's his most energetic yeah. film since The Departed, probably. Uh, but it's much better than The Departed because it's a lot more dense. And I, and I I am a huge Departed head, by the way. I love it. But this film is just towering because of every performance you know every performance in the departed is awesome every performance in the wolf of wall street feels like it has a movie of its own of backstory you know like no one's phoning it in even what's his name you know america's only character actor john berenthal uh like that's (laughs) his legit best performance that's why he is you know now america's only character actor and everyone's sick of him by now fucking incredible in that movie it was so good they reprised his role and we are your friends yeah <laughs> uh, 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 uh. yeah it's like michael keaton and uh, jackie brown and out of sight yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, but that's that so we'll be back on extended clip for uh, our timeline b feature 2012's the master by paul thomas anderson if the movie you're looking for is the master <laughs> <laughs> It is. I, <laughs> this is such a hack premise. Someone's definitely said this before, but I was listening to Black Skinhead today. I was like, whoa. This, <laughs> this, this, this kind of ha- even sounds better. <laughs> like this, this, Jesus kind of has like, it kind of even sounds a little better now. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I, I, there's some aspects of it go a little bit harder now than others. <laughs> some aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Bill Simmons earlier. Yeah. That'd be great. Just like, uh, you know, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. <laughs> He's kind of got a little bit of the Farrakhan thing. <laughs> and then Rosillo is like, Bill, no, you can't look. 
I don't care what kind of numbers he's putting up right now. I know you're trying to get him for a low value, but the guy <laughs> likes Hitler. <laughs> Wait, what? Bill's just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's not good. It's not good. Look, call me crazy, <laughs> but. It's kind of stuff. It's kind of good. It's kind of. <laughs> I'll trade. Honestly, right now, if I'm Universal Mu- Music Group, I'm trading Taylor Swift for Kanye in two firsts. Who says no? <laughs> that would that would be sick if you could just trade people on like music labels, like Universal trades. <laughs> Katy Perry. I don't know who's on what label. Katy Perry, and Lady Gaga. Yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. They should add that. You know what I mean? Like that could get if Beyond, people. if if Sony throws in Beyonce and Spider Man. <laughs> But yeah, we should just be trading. Everything should be tradable. Trade everything. Just Bill Simmons coming up with the worst trades ever all day. That would be the greatest podcast ever. <laughs> Throw in the Battleship IP. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the master. Oh, we're back on Extended Clip, I guess. Uh, I don't know how much of that will be in the pod, but we're back on Extended Clip to talk about the master. Paul Thomas Anderson's 2012 film... Um, his first film not shot in Cinemascope. Uh, he, he ditched the anamorphic, and instead of uh, you know uh, doubling up on wideness, he doubled up on uh, the film stock. Shot it on seventy millimeter. Things huge. Looks amazing. What, yeah. do you, what do you expect? This is the first like I don't know. I mean, I, there will be blood is too, but I, I feel like this one's even a step further than there will be blood where he's really coming into his own. And I think this change in visual style is probably why it feels like such a new chapter. Uh, you're ditching Robert Ellswit, yeah. uh, who was fucking masterful for him. That's like one of my favorite DP runs ever is Ellswit for like his first few films. Uh, even if, you know, the quality of the films doesn't really hold up to me as much as I wished it would for like Magnolia or like uh, Heart Eight, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh he shot the fuck out of those movies. Totally, yeah. like, that, that was ridiculous. But the master, a new visual style is born. Less, uh, less long tracking shots, more long still takes. Uh, he, he he's doing more of the slow movement, more more of the Ophels style movement when he is moving the camera. Mm-hmm. More of the Ophels style movement than the uh, than the whip bang zang uh, Altman Scorsese type tracking shots and Steadicam stuff he was doing in the beginning. Um, he's still relying a lot on uh, pushing in on people's faces like Jonathan Demme taught him to. And uh, I think this is the movie where he does that the best. This movie is about so much more than just the faces of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. But man, is it also just about the faces of those two masterful actors. Yeah, and he, you know, he gives them a lot of great scenes to kind of you know show off their skill and whatnot. Almost kind of like in a traditional kind of acting way but i think what kind of what kind of separates this in my mind and this is not like better or worse i'm talking here but what separates it from like there will be blood and kind of that era of his career it's kind of like you know there will be blood is obviously like a a very masterful film in a very way that's like you know of course it's complex in its you know its way but it's it's pretty easy to digest what's Mm -hmm. going on there and i think the master is so you know, and the master and inherent vice, especially to follow it, kind of are just much more oblique, kind of have like these kind of uh, um, almost like loftier qualities and kind of uh, 
um, these kind of moods they're playing off of that, like, uh, you know, seem to affect the movie more so than, you know, kind of a, a more traditional rise and fall, you know, that, you know, he, he likes to do. It, it is kind of a, one aspect of this movie I love. It kind of, it, it almost kind of seems to like, a, there's almost like a, there's a freeing sense of almost randomness in it to where it goes, you know what I mean? It almost kind of, uh, like it follows its scent like a dog or something mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, I like where that leads it and leads it into to places that um, aren't necessarily expected. And I think an idea in my mind I had, you know, watching this movie the first few times, I feel like, you know, it kind of gets more abstract as it goes along or whatever. Or maybe it, like it could go an angle where it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman's running some sort of crazy cult and there's mm-hmm. some, you know, walking, you know, even in a more complex way, but like kind of like it's where like Joaquin's investigating what's going on here or whatever, but it just, the, the directions it takes are just, uh, I don't know, much more interesting and, you know, just uh, arise so much more questions. Yeah. It's so much more just about human, uh, feelings and desires and also on a broader stage, like mid century American, uh, life and desires and humans JT, when's the last time you'd seen this one before we did it for the ep? Um, I think I watched it in college, and even then, I feel like this was like one of the like earlier movies that I saw that like this, and I feel like Inherent Vice. I feel like I saw like maybe like freshman year of college, and they just sort of like perplexed me. Like they're like just like abstract enough and like about i feel like weightier like heavier subject matter that like i i don't know i was just like perplexed like seeing them the first time Mm -hmm. and now i i don't know this like i loved it this time around and i mean same thing with like inherent vice where every uh viewing was like incredibly rewarding this like I have read, like, to some extent, and it makes sense that, um, like, PTA would follow this up with a full-blown, like, Pinchon adaptation. The story, in some ways, inspired by Pinchon's V, and, I mean, it makes sense because, like, the character that Joaquin is playing is sort of, like, a a real Pinchon type where it's just, like, Mm. a weirdo like former world war two soldier yeah i was gonna style of like benny profane in v or like tyrone slothrop in gravity's rainbow where it's just sort of like uh, like i mean it i think pta is taking it to a much darker extent um and darker and more realistic extent in the master but it's still really goofy and funny like they're still like they're still opening fucking scene on the beach uh, when he is just like, oh, my God. I mean, first of all, the first two things you really see in this movie are water and Joaquin Phoenix's eyes. And that's, you know, that, that there's a lot right there to chew on. And you'll see that recurring image of water throughout. And you'll see that face quite a bit throughout. Um, but, yeah, he, he's stationed. I guess they're, they're World War II ends during this scene, but they're just fucking around, basically bunch of dudes cracking melons there's this insane like fisheye lens shot of him cracking a fucking <laughs> coconut yeah. never seen a, a lens like that in a pta movie uh and the shot lasts two seconds you know but it does have the uh the 
juice from the fruit splash on the lens like the oil in the beginning of there will be blood does as well and uh, you know uh which i i thought was very funny that he was very addicted to that for like two films in a row and then was like all right maybe that's a bit much he was like i could make that my director trainer yeah no, uh, no, 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 it's a bit no, much yeah, it's a bit yeah, much no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it's fun every, kind of everyone does that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but the horny sailor boy prologue is so funny, man. They're just on the beach. They make the giant mermaid, and they're all, like, goofing on it. And then Freddy just gets really into it. <laughs> he's, just, like, he's just, like, fingering it in front of everyone. He's <laughs> like, all right, that's, dude. That's funny. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's uh, okay. And then he like, goes oh, that's, and, yeah, it's a woman, all right. Then he just goes to jack it into the ocean, and his posture is so fucking funny. Just a goblin, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it is like a... There's the slight contortion that uh, Joaquin does in this movie because, you know, I feel like at times he he could, uh, you know, the Joker performance, right? You know, the physicality of everything. Like, I feel like there's some just some slight things there and specifically the way he hunches while he jacks off is a, a, a hunch. A hunch jack off is like that's so different than uh, <laughs> like a, a jacking off. Like you're concentrating your power. Like there's some sort of like physical balling up of some sort of. It's it's very funny to hunch over and jack off. You'd, you'd have it's, to be. It's just it's eviler. It's more nefarious. You're it, adding it nefarious. A, a dark element to jacking off. True. It doesn't mix it an evil action. I agree. I agree. So uh, we then see him like get some fuel from a tanker and drink it and like that's like your prologue to knowing that he's just like a fiend for making his own booze just killing himself and making himself mentally challenged with booze me and eddie were watching this and like i never really like of course i realized it because i saw it happen in the movie before but it's like freddie quell's such a hilarious character because he's just you know primarily driven by sex you know kind of just horny throughout the movie and that you know um something that never goes away and it's like a man who's just made himself you know completely mentally gone just through drinking motor oil all the time like he is like i think that that is like almost more ridiculous than like it's presented in a way because because he's just always getting fucked up on like like drain cleaner and his his he's just a complete fucking idiot like the like the dumbest person a, a person could be um Anybody? He doesn't even like like yeah we he killed as he said he killed some uh, Japanese soldiers in the war and like I'm yeah. sure he has PTSD from that but he's just a fucking he's just, he's, he's drinking that brain eraser every night exactly dude he's just fucking he's drinking that smooth brain every night and it's yeah. getting smoother every second and then he runs into a guy who who specializes in brain smoothing you yeah know? like Phillips were Hoffman. It's just so funny. He runs into Phil Sihoff and he's like, "Oh wow, this that's pretty good. That damn that." <laughs> yeah. uh, seen other people drink. Your cooking's boy is great. But before they meet, I, I really do adore this first act. Before they meet, and it like it is funny because it's such a vague narrative film. But then when you really get to the nitty gritty, like whatever the kind of like six turning points you need for a three act story or whatever they're all there they're like, all... P- pta is such a storyteller above yeah. all people are like oh he got pretentious later on it's like his films still have such narrative thrust like it's just the moments he yeah, chooses he to just, focus on he, sometimes you he know? just makes it more abstracted on a scene to scene level but i feel like he is like he's a guy who goes and sees Marvel movies, you know, like he knows what an audience wants to feel in terms of the push and pull, even if it's in 30 minute increments instead of three minute increments, you know? 
But regardless, uh, so for this first act, uh, we we see him uh, get a Rorschach test. Tell me what you see. Well, that's a pussy. Lady's pussy. What about this one? Looks like cock going inside of a pussy. All right, let's try it again. Tell me what you see, Freddy. Looks like... It's just like a cock, actually, upside down. And uh, then we see him at his first job. And uh, you know what his first job is? And it's so perfect thematically. It is to capture what American life is supposed to look like. He's a photographer at a department store. Uh, Middle-class white families all come in, uh, and they all get their pictures taken, and the it, it's overlit, and uh, they're all in you know Art Deco, uh, proto-Mad Men uh, set decoration on, on the sets, and uh, department store life, man. Whoa, mid-century American department stores. They look so sick in movies. Man. I was going to say, it is funny because it is like, it kind of elevates Between this and Mankins or whatever from Mad Men. Like yeah. I want to hang out in a mid-century department store so bad. Yeah, it, it kind of like elevates. You know what I mean? If you're in like some shitty mall from nowadays, you're taking photos of children. It's just like, oh, this is just this is yeah. nothing. But it's like, oh, this is like a high class thing. And you know, I think we're getting suckered into. We're like, maybe we should all wear suits again and yeah. dress nice. <laughs> 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 I, I really do love, you know, PTA has become a period filmmaker. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Boogie Nights was first, but he's really leaned into, because Boogie Nights, it's such a young guy making a movie about an era he was a baby for, you know. Uh, then he becomes such a great period filmmaker, and I think uh, part of it, a, a motif is him, uh, Joaquin being a department store photographer, and of course, Alana in Licorice Pizza, being a children's photographer, each of them capturing an era the way that he seems to be really interested in. These films that he makes now, there are all these two-person powerhouse, hilarious dramas, basically. I wouldn't say any of them are necessarily comedies. All of them are fucking hilarious. All of them are kind of horribly sad as well, other than uh, Licorice Pizza is sad when you think about the the culture around it kind of uh the the movie itself is a fucking ray of sunshine but it, it reveals a little of the dark underbelly or whatever but it's about you know using a two-person powerhouse drama to capture an era and i think he's so interested in that and that's why his films maybe despite having classic narrative structure they do feel a bit novelistic and he has gone to literature as an inspiration more so than movies you know he used to be a guy who aped Scorsese and Altman and had his own personal taste as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his movies have become more novelistic and better for it, for sure. Kind of like to view it at a cynical way, which I'm not, you know, it shouldn't be viewed. It's like no one's reading books anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you're stealing from books, you know, putting them to movies. It's like it just feels a little bit fresher than just being another Scorsese Altman ripoff because, you know, there are there are uh, plenty of those. But. Yeah, you go, you go, JT. Yeah, I don't know. In terms of like, just with what Eddie was getting at, I think is a really apt comparison to like Licorice Pizza, where he like PTA is able to capture like all these like period details and provide this commentary while telling like a very direct personal story. Like the master is just like just a tale of like 
two like just incredibly fucked up dudes who are like one is abusing the other significantly more but like just like in a very negative like friendship together and just but they're like oh but we're both like they're they're both like cool with each other to some extent and then also you get this full like like story on the outer rims of just sort of like the failure the failure of the US to process like the trauma of World War Two, and to like adequately adapt to like a post-war society, and I mean, I think that like is for me like I was really surprised like immediately how that sets in like in this rewatch because like the Rorschach tests like so similar to like what uh like Philip Seymour Hoffman doing with like the I don't know like the the equivalent of like the Scientology like testing stuff, whatever you want to call that, like sort the of processing, as he the calls processing, it. yeah, like the way that's there. It's just like guys groping around for answers because they've experienced the horrors of the world, and there's like, well, well, what the fuck are you gonna do? There is nothing provided for you there. Yeah, you know, it is. I do love. Um kind of like the the hucksterness of Philip Seymour Hoffman and how you kind of see that, you know, kind of, you know, on the boat, he's a god, you know, isolated, you know, from society. But once you get into the real world, it's, you know, there's kind of, it's a little less, you know, black and white, you know what I mean? There's a, you know, guys coming up being like, you're a fraud, you know, you basically, there's no scientific basis for what you're talking about. And I kind of, I do love like his, the processing or whatever, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a, it really is just like trying to break people down, you know what I mean? And like, it is kind of interesting, like that history of like, kind of like psychiatry or whatever. And it's like, you know, of course it's like a positive thing now, but I think when it first came up, people are like, all right, how do we like use this to like, you know, mess with people and like kind of modify <laughs> their behavior in a way to it's, you know, more what I like. Also, it kind of, it kind of feels like a, um, what do you call it? Same people who would have done that, you know, anyone who's like, this is, this is a very like 2015 thing, but like, uh, if you were like addicted to taking like Buzzfeed quizzes, <laughs> you, you would have probably got suckered up by Philip Seymour Hoffman and his, his, his cult. just, just out of, just out of that, you know what I mean? Just the kind of the, the addiction to like this questioning process. Cause you know, in a way, you know, it gives someone like quell a little bit more significance, you know, makes him think about his life in a more, uh, grand way it kind of builds him up in a way even though he's breaking him down and that's what makes it appealing wow and <laughs> i i'm sorry to go through narratively beat by beat i just i love every moment of this film and i, I want to go kind of uh yeah you like my new reactions love, by I, simmons-esque wows anytime i say something actually good on the podcast eddie will react <laughs> no i do the bill simmons. oh wow oh wow interesting okay oh, wow cool. <laughs> Uh, but I do want to go kind of painstakingly, uh, not scene by scene exactly, but we're going to take the scenic route on the master because it's, it's my favorite, it's maybe my favorite movie of the last 20 years. Like it's, it's right up there. I'll give you the wheel. Uh, I, I, I used to say inherent vice was my favorite. I, this one is like, it's, it's like tied with it at least right now. But anyway, so, uh, we get an introduction to his first, uh, uh, breathing love interest in the movie uh, in a tracking shot that, hey, JT is the resident expert on this filmmaker. I- am I right to say it's an Ophels-esque tracking shot that introduces oh, her? Oh, it is for sure. incredible as she is modeling uh, the fur coat, you know, uh, you know, only $49.99. Uh, 
you know, and I mean, and like that, like it's almost directly references, like in caught, I think mm, like, yes. uh, there, yeah, there's Ooh. like a woman who's like, who's literally doing that exact job. Yes. Oh my God. I forgot about that. And I've seen caught like three times too. That's like one of the craziest movies ever. The, Eddie, that, that lit something in Eddie. That was like, that was like you saw a good sports play. It's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> good catch. Good catch. Uh, so they flirt a little bit. Uh, they, uh, they, just like get a little fucked up uh, off of his jungle juice off yeah. of his industrial jungle juice yeah true <laughs> he is making the gnarliest shit in this movie <laughs> but uh they drink it they make a date and ma- maybe the funniest pta visual gag is the hard cut from them making the date to him being knocked out at the dinner table <laughs> <they're just> looking <laughs> over. Classic. And it's such a perfect composition too. Like that is one of my favorite compositions in the movie. It's very, it's a borderline Hopper esque uh, Edward. That is, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. No, there's definitely kind of like a kind of like that, like a kind of a gleam throughout the movie that I think I feel like definitely is trying to emulate that sort of style. Like, uh, like it makes me think of like some of those. Um, scenes on the boat where it's like it, everything's blown out to where it's just like white in the background and it looks yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, those scenes, because you're just zeroed in on the faces, you know, yeah, he, yeah. the backgrounds are so abstracted at that point. Mm-hmm. He gets fired from the department store after getting in a fight with a dude. Uh, hilarious scene. Uh, another great tracking shot through the department store of their of their fight. And then he goes to uh, work on a farm, and he's uh, making his industrial jungle juice again. Poisons an old dude on the farm <laughs> in Salinas, California. Salinas, California. I, it, you know, that is near where I grew up, and uh, that, you know, I don't know if they shot there, but the, I don't know. It was nice seeing the fields again. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. JT, have you ever had a guy at your work, or are you the guy at your work that just like has a fucked up booze stash? Like, is there? I don't think I've ever met a person drinking on the job with their own distorted liquor. <laughs> like, I mean, I've definitely met like alcoholics that I've worked with who've been who've like nipped a little bit like on yeah. the job, but not yeah. like. They've like concocted it in the dishwasher in you the back, <laughs> like out of cleaning fluid. That of your coworkers drink paint thinner. <laughs> any moonshinists or whatever. So after that, he runs away again, and man, he's just a bad dog that keeps running away. Am I right? <laughs> uh, we'll get to that more. But he finds a boat. Looks like they're having a good time there. So Does, you just jump on it. So you just jump on the boat. That's that's the best part of this movie when you think about it. Uh, not the best aspect of it, but like the uh, when you're talking about plotting and people getting mad at like narrative stuff with him, yeah. the fact that Freddy does just kind of jump on this boat is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, uh, and just like is a stowaway for no reason. But hey, he's a guy who wants to run away. Yeah, and he's you know it is like you know kind of following Quell right. He does things. He's a fuck up. He does things. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. He runs away from a situation, whether he wants to or he, because he has to. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it is like that's why it's not some kind of, you know, linear hero's journey or whatever. Because it is, he's not a hero. He's he's a, a small part in this, you know, big fabric. Yeah. So they they meet the morning after. Apparently, Freddie was the life of the party. <laughs> he got everyone <laughs> fucked up. I do many many things. 
I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man. Hopelessly inquisitive man, just like you. <laughs> well, I'm sorry if, if I got out of hand last night. It's cold and those. Don't apologize. You're a scoundrel. Don't apologize. You're a scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I love. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this, and especially how he talks to Freddie, because it is like, like to put it in modern sensibilities, kind of like a like a billionaire who has like some sort of wacky like rapper or like a musician friend who does a bunch of drugs like oh wow you're absolutely you know i'm fascinated by you you're you're a, you're a creature who plays by your own rules or whatever you know it's very interesting and the guy's just like a complete fucking idiot you know what i mean <laughs> but he's like wow you know you're just different from the others you don't comprehend me or whatever you know what i mean and it but and like of course it's deep it goes deeper than that but i love that aspect of their relationship kind of like Lancaster Dodd kind of almost scientifically, you know, studying him, but also kind of having like a, you know, tad bit of real friendship with him. Oh, beyond a tad yeah, bit, yeah. the guy's in love with him. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It, it, it's instant for him, I think. And, uh, Freddie then learns a little bit about where we are. And I love how vague it is too, because you know, when this was coming out, everyone was like, Oh, it's the Scientology movie. It it's is the, vague, yeah. It's like the first time you're seeing all that stuff, you just, think it it's very vague it's very strange um you know back beyond we we record everything that line is so vague uh and that like it just cuts to a bunch of people like that look like they're in a newsroom like just (laughs) that is sick like he's like he is like we record everything and then quell's like let me go see where that is and he just kind of hangs out there and writes post-it or uh, yeah. on a, a note on a piece of paper. Do you want to fuck with a smiley face? It is. It is, it is almost kind of like a, there's a lot of movies where it's like people like fail upwards, and that's not quite what Quell's doing. But it's like I feel like since like you know there's basically a, a yet some sort of cult or a cult-like atmosphere thing going on. Quell's not quite indoctrinated yet, so just him like just checking everything out is almost like him bucking the system or what, you know, yeah. or just like maybe not bucking it, but it's like a wrench in it. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, yeah. Cause it, it's like any other person in his perspective would be like investigating it, as you said, Malcolm, yeah. but he's just like, yeah, they're, you know, letting me hang out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, you know, it is, it, it is kind of funny. Like he is kind of like the, the guy in the background. It is like, it, you know, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but it is like the family's like, you know, do we need to keep him around? Like what, you know, they kind of I mean? like adopt him like a dog, like yeah. in a yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> and Hey, Lancaster does say bad to him, but it's very bad. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Freddie. No. <laughs> and yeah, the fact that, you know, Frazier has a son named Freddie really put it into perspective. How Frazier esque, uh, Lancaster Dodd's speech is in this movie. But more than his speech, his guttural sounds, like when he busts a fucking nut, <laughs> when Amy Adams gives him a hand job, uh, him busting sounds just like Frazier falling off the stage. <laughs> a real, pa- a real painful nut. I don't know. Yeah. If pe- oh don't- dear lord! <laughs> oh, oh! It's like it's, not, it's kind of a strange. What's- oh, oh, oh! Yeah. Yes. 
trip through its a small world, pretending I was a UN interpreter. Good Lord. Because he like, you know, I don't, we don't need to get too vulgar. But it is it's like a painful, uh, someone painfully coming. It's like there's a whole lot of other stuff going on there, too. If well, he probably hasn't nutted in like a year. Oh, is that? So it was well, like, there, it, it was like. It could be like that because like, I don't know. Okay. I, I can't tell. I can't that, that, tell. That makes, that makes more sense. Or like it was a, a very powerful nut. Yeah. Yeah. My read on how they use sex like in a thing in their uh, system. I wouldn't yeah. even call it a cult yet. Uh, it's a cult, yeah. Uh, how they use sex in their cult versus how the main couple, uh, I guess not main couple even, uh, but Amy Adams and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, how they have sex just as a couple uh, are so different, you know, obviously. It's just like a whole other, as I said, it's a whole other movie. Uh, <laughs> it really is a whole other movie going on with her character and like it's it's then compare that to joaquin getting an over the pants handy uh when they first show up at laura dern's house from uh the daughter you know who yeah. just got married to rami malik uh then the tension between those two is hilarious like during their processing things together it's great but speaking of processing after some introductions we do get to the a little informal processing scene which is, you know, as Malcolm said while we were watching it, like this is such a, you know, YouTube best acting ever scene. But it really is. It's really like, great. No, it's really like, it's it's a really great scene. But it is like I'm, sh- I've, I think I've seen it on YouTube like that. You know. Yeah, that's very funny. The reason that it is a masterpiece in a chamber to me is the cutaway to the flashback because I think the the version on youtube wouldn't have that yeah the flash the doris flashback when we get to that it feels so dreamlike it feels so otherworldly it's from a time before joaquin phoenix you know made himself mentally ill with booze and killing people uh in the war and it's just the way he presents it versus the way that joaquin is mumbling through what is going on is just so heartbreaking and weird. Like he was already a weirdo. He's already yeah. dating a fourteen-year-old. Uh, but like <sighs> it's, it's just heartbreaking, man. I I, yeah. I really adore the use of that flashback, uh, and then cutting back into the room. Just I don't know. I, I think the way that it's paced out is brilliant. It's very long. It's like a. It's like the way an action movie uses a set piece. This is a dramatic set piece, and it's uh, kind of the main set piece of the movie. Are you ready? Yes. Say your name. Freddie Quill. Say it again. Freddie Quill. Say it again. Freddie Quill. Say it again. Freddie Quill. Might as well say it one more time just to make sure you know who you are. Freddie Quill. Are you thoughtless in your remarks? I usually put some thought into them. Do you linger at bus stations for pleasure? <laughs> no. Do you get muscle spasms for no reason? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures in life bother you? Again, like with all of the characters and all of the relationships, but like Freddie, 
it, it would be a very easy route to just make him be the butt of a joke because he is such a ridiculous and like fucking stupid individual. But like you see, like there are various elements that like build to like understanding like what could have made this character and just like how his life could have been different. And like that, like little aside is very poetic in like processing that happens later like he references incest with his aunt or oh, something yeah. like that. No, that was in the same. It's in the same scene. It's the same one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's just like you're still like going to laugh at him like later or like even like him like farting in processing at some points. But like it, it's just all of that mixed with like you're able to get such like a ridiculous caricature of a human being, but then also. They're like fully realized and human where you can like understand their pain. It's very powerful stuff. One more note on the processing scene. Uh, Obviously, he says the classic line, you're the bravest boy I've ever met. (laughs) And then they have this like victory lap cigarette. And I just love it. And I love that Hoffman's character loves smoking cools. Just trash, man. (laughs) It's trash. (laughs) (laughs) But then they go to that party. Uh where uh you know he's kind of using it as a party trick on, yeah, on yeah. that old lady and then we get the guy coming in excuse me excuse um. me excuse me excuse me excuse- he says excuse me maybe eight times yeah. it's so funny how slow it builds up into their confrontation uh that climaxes with i'm sorry you're unwilling to defend your beliefs in any kind of rational oh, if, if, if you if you if, if you already know the answers to your questions then why ask pig fuck it is it is very funny because it is like uh like Joaquin doesn't even seem to get like the severity of what's even gone on or whatever, and then just at the end he's just like <laughs> and then like throws the food and it's like and then later like, on no he man, goes, that wasn't that wasn't like a good look. Like Philip Seymour <laughs> didn't own him, like, you know, that just made everything kind of a little bit more awkward and now everyone's kind of just being self-aware about this whole shit and everyone's just like then he gets Rami Malek with them and goes and beats the guy up (laughs) (laughs) I I think the thing is yeah he what does he know he knows the institution of being in the war and fighting for people you know like Mm -hmm. so he's like he's now Lancaster's soldier because of processing he gave himself over to him in that scene before he was just along for the ride then he's fully committed, not to the cause, but to that man. Yeah. He knows that that man and him have a deep connection that he would never share with anybody else. He's a very dumb man, but he knows that much. Of course. Uh, and so he is completely at his side as a soldier, and he will do anything. Uh, you know, the classic line at the end, something you do for 10 billion years or not at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at first it seems like he's ready for that 10 billion years. Uh, is it a billion or 10 billion? I forget. Ten. I think it's 10 billion. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I really love that. It's really funny, just him going rage mode on that dude. And uh, Lancaster just feel like it's very bad, Freddie. Yeah, I was gonna say, a lot, a lot of good, a lot of good yelling from the. No, <laughs> it's just a bad dog, dude. Wrong. <laughs> but then they go to Laura Dern's place in Philly. Uh, mm-hmm. JT, any Laura Dern types uh, in your hood in Philly? <laughs> um, I, no, I wouldn't say so. Okay. I, I certainly. I wish there was, man. I don't know what to tell you there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they go there and uh, there's, you know, back-to-back hand jobs. basically. <laughs> you get the one. Both we've mentioned already, but uh, 
the the stuff that takes place there is really great. It, we have the uh, a roving scene, which leads to the second hand job, of course, uh, where you know it's like it's like Paul Thomas Anderson's John Ford scene, where uh, Hoffman's just holding court, leading everyone in song. They're all dancing like a bunch of dumbasses, yeah. and then Freddy's like falling asleep, and then we see that everyone's naked, and that's like you know in Freddy's dream vision, uh, everyone's in, all the women are naked. True, yeah. <laughs> All the women are naked, including the old ones, you know, uh, which I I really love that, like, just dreamlike kind of vision there uh, of him doing the song. I love I love the kind of like that whole sequence of kind of like in between or just, yeah, just them at Laura's Dern house before they go to jail, because it's just kind of um, just giving quell time to kind of just meander around in like this, like uh, this new cult, you know, scenario he's got going on here or just like you kind of just see. Um, you know, like what I said before, kind of, uh, more of the effects of being out of isolation and kind of, you know, when the, the cult's not going perfectly and, you know, kind of the weird stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I feel like you get, you really get more of a sense of like Amy Adams character in this movie, which is like, it's such a very interesting character because it's not, she's not even given that like, um, in terms of like the grand scheme of thing as much screen time as maybe you'd think, but it's like you know, it, it, there's kind of this implication that she kind of pulls the strings of, of the whole thing. And like, kind of like, I, I kind of like the way that PTA kind of obscures that you never quite see the entire uh, picture. Like, I mean, you, the hand job seems pretty definite, but like, just like the whole, there's never like a whole big reveal of yeah. everything of it. It's just kind of, she kind of uh, isn't in the background, but it's like, just, I, I kind of like how her, her character is, you feel it, you know, there's so much, there's so much to her character, but not all is revealed. I mean, even that's like the Laura Dern character, very minor character, but it is just like, she's just there for like a little while. Yeah. And then, and then she, you know, it, it's kind of a, a nice, uh, good bit role as someone, you know, Dern, you could see like a, a version of Dern in like, you know, back in the day being like, oh yeah, more open to like, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, different religion or different, whatever. Different way of thinking. Yeah, different way of you thinking. Um, yeah, and it's like people like her are why they can survive as an organization, even though, you know, uh, they go to jail because of, uh, you know, misuse of funds or whatever. Like, they're, they're definitely pulling some financial strings. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have rich people supporting them. That's basically the, mm-hmm. the main reason. That's like anything. You got rich people supporting you, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh People like us. True, <laughs> yeah. The support from guys like us will get, get you, know, you nowhere. A, work, a, a working class cult like ours is, you know, shit in this world. <laughs> <laughs> they go to jail. Freddie gets arrested. Lancaster goes to jail for, like, financial stuff. Freddie gets arrested for trying to, like, tackle the cops. <laughs> it's so funny. And they, they have that crazy blowout in jail, that long take. Uh, you know, it it gets cut up eventually, but when it's in the wide shot and you see just Freddy immediately go in there and smash his toilet the second he gets into the jail is hilarious to me. Just such a dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> animal animal mindset for sure. Like, yeah, that's what often says about him farting. He's like, even though it's the noise of an animal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing what an animal does. But speaking of uh, the earlier point I made about 
you know, PTA being something of a crowd pleaser in terms of his pacing. They get out of jail, and then it's like round two of our favorite screenwriting book phrase, fun and games, you know? Round one is after he meets Hoffman, and we are on the boat, and you see all the fun stuff, and we record everything, all the back beyond stuff. And then it's like 50 minutes later or so, not even 50, but probably 40 minutes later or so. It's like, let's do that again. Let's like let's get a little more energy in it we just had a really couple disparaging scenes like that yeah. jail scene um also another john ford-esque note you know when they come back from jail uh <laughs> they're just like wrestling for like oh, three yeah. minutes almost it's like uh hey maybe a nod to the quiet man i don't know that that was yeah that was one of the more like kind of just straight up kind of just presented how it is like mm-hmm. touching moments of the movie where you know you get a sense of their friendship like it is because yeah. it seems like because what you know what sucks about what um lancaster dodd is doing that everyone else around him is so fucking lame yeah and like he you could kind of tell that like you know he wants to he wants to get down he wants to drink he wants to get rowdy you know what i mean and quell's kind of like his outlet for that and like him just kind of having joy of quell showing up while they're on like you know having their sunday afternoon drinking on the porch he's like oh fine this is this is kind of the guy i really wanted to see today you know what <laughs> i mean, mean like fuck all these it, other guys it's just so funny it feels like they're like perfect for each other in a way that it's just like in order to have like a true connection with someone like lancaster does need like a complete fucking moron that is yeah. like not going to understand anything of what's happening to him and just going to give him pure loyalty. And like Freddie is just Freddie's there for it. It's just like he's he's just having a ball. He like the, the, the guy's nice to him. And it's like it's weird to see like a master like sort of slave dynamic uh <laughs> depicted there with like them having such joy and affection for each other. But that does, like, I mean, like, aside from all of the abuse, it does shine through, and that feels very legitimate. And again, I think, like, the movie is so, like, complicated and, like, is challenging itself at points, and I, I, I don't know, I love that aspect of, like, their relationship can, like, have these, like, little wholesome beats despite being, like putrid and abusive well that's you know that's what makes it more you know effective i guess right it's like you can't you know if it was just you know kind of bad or kind of uh you know maybe like dodd kind of being friends with uh quell at kind of like a scientific distance or whatever it wouldn't you know feel so rich so dodd releases his (laughs) second book and that's when things turn sour uh the second book you know, has some, uh, he's kind of trying to cover himself a little bit for some of the critiques in the first, I guess. And Laura Dern kind of calls him out on it. She's like, hey, you kind of changed some of the, uh, kind of changed some of the language here. What's going on here? <laughs> if our previous method was to induce memory by asking, can you recall, doesn't it then change everything? Now we say, can you imagine? We are invoking a new wider range to account for the new data. Can you imagine? allows for a more creative pathway to the mind. More open. But if the new what do you want? Uh, and then, you know, by this point, Freddy's heard his son say, uh, this is the new making word. it up as it goes along. And, you know, he's, yeah. saw, he's seen enough of the criticism. 
he beats up one more critic, but like that's that's it for him. Like he he's done at that point pretty much. Um, which is a very bad time to play the motorcycle game. (laughs) (laughs) What game are they exactly playing even? I don't, I don't, that's called pick a point. (laughs) Yeah. Pick a point and you drive towards it. And it's like, it's one of my favorite things to do, I guess. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good game. You know, you think it's like, is it going to be like rebel without a cause about a, just stop in front of a mountain or something like that. But, uh, no, I, I mean, I think it kind of fits with kind of like the mood of the movie and what I said before of Quell kind of just like, you know, despite being under the, you know, spell or just, you know, the friendship or whatever dynamic, the complicated dynamic he has with Dodd, what was he doing before? He valued his freedom more mm-hmm. so than anything else, maybe almost foolishly, but, uh, you know, might, it might've been a good idea to get out of this situation, you know, on Quell's part. But, um, and so I, I really kind of love that kind of like split to sit, you know, you don't even really see him, at least uh, maybe I'm, I don't recall, but like you never really see him like make that decision in his head or even like it kind of just happens. And I kind of just like that aspect of it kind of like you, you don't really expect that to happen and it kind of just does. And that's just what it is. And before we go fully into that breakup, uh, which, again, very clear, like plot point in like a romantic movie, that's exactly where you put it, you know, before that, the the second round of fun and games kind of all of those drills they were doing all those exercises they're all you know just wearing him down it's all repetition just to wear his brain down smooth it down a little more and this being such an actor's movie um and and more than and pta is one of the great actors directors but like this more than any of them is an acting movie it reminded me of the processes of certain directors to get performance, whether it's Robert Bresson or Stanley Kubrick. Both of them use repetition to just drill people down. Yeah. Just dri- and same with Hitch- Hitchcock, and uh, but like but more so the first two I mentioned, and for very different reasons. Uh, Bresson, you know, to get a lack of emotion, he wants to get the most flat affect possible. Kubrick tries to do that with a couple characters, but in general, there's always one thing he's really going for beneath the surface, and he wants to wear people down and make them crazy to do it. Sorry. <laughs> you know, Good movie, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not making any statement on that. <laughs> um, but the, the repetition thing here is so great because, like, it does, like, you see Joaquin Phoenix deteriorating in real time in terms of like his freedom true in terms of just like a when i say freedom it's like he feels like he just has to serve he's you gotta serve somebody uh as bob dylan once said (laughs) uh but this isn't well it kind of you know that song's about religion and this song it's like the guy kind of got brainwashed by the by the military and then now the american dream coming in uh he's not even taking part in that though other people are getting brainwashed by that he's part of the system that creates that when he's the uh uh what's it called photographer the department store photographer uh but he is just like completely serving you know philip seymour hoffman that's all he wants to do and uh you know that's why at the end philip seymour hoffman says if you've learned to live without serving a master you know, you'll be the first person in history to do so. <laughs> and like, that's, I think that's the key line of the movie, obviously, because as we'll see in a later PTA movie, that master can just be your girlfriend. 
Like if we're talking, fa- if we're talking yeah. Phantom Thread, yeah, yeah. If we're talking Phantom Thread, that can be the same thing. And that kind of like you know you can't you could try to escape this sort of dynamic you know in your life, but it's almost it's always going to be there. It's it's inescapable, and your life is maybe almost incomplete without it. And know? that's why all of PTA's movies now for the last decade and a half have been these two person powerhouse dramas because he keyed into something there when he made Punch Drunk Love. It, that's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. That's that's two decades ago. Uh, and he hasn't looked back because I think it's the perfect way not just to capture American culture and character psychology, but also I think it's just what he sees life as. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, you know, as, as a romantic, I think that's a beautiful way to see life. Uh, as a cynic, you know, you see some other two-person relationships like Plainview and Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh boy. Or you see this one. Oh boy, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> but the, but you see, you know, punch drunk love, and you see licorice pizza. It's like that guy loves his fucking wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, I what I what I love about I kind of I love you know kind of post you know him kind of leaving, kind of like him going to the institute in Britain, and it kind of just being like somewhat cold and just like just like oh, things things have definitely changed. But yeah. Like, well, because he wasn't invited. It yeah, was in was. his dream that he was oh, invited. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. That's yeah. the thing. That took me two viewings, I got to yeah. say. Uh, but I think seeing the the first dream sequence yeah, where he thinks everyone's naked. Yeah. Because uh, he's just like half asleep drunk at that point. Uh, this one, he's out. He's watching Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh, and it's a Casper the Friendly Ghost that's about being on a boat. I think yeah. uh, like the audio you can kind of hear it and so he's just dozing off thinking about the boat yeah, then they get, they and get then the uh, what kind of fucking movie theater is like running a phone a cable that long with a phone like yeah. in, in the 50s like uh, to the one guy in the theater oh Mr. Quill you have a phone call from England you, know, you just and, watch it you're like oh things used to be different back yeah, in and the he's day. like how'd you find me <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminded me of that's like proto inherent vice right there we, yeah. like that dream feeling is very inherent advice it's very stoned kind of yeah Uh, but i i love that uh and so he goes to england to go back to the cause and there's like what do you do he's like i could take pictures if you want you know you don't need pictures (laughs) uh but then that that last showdown between them is so incredible philip seward hoffman just busts out slow boat to china (laughs) yeah i'd love to get you on a slow boat to China All to myself Alone Get you and keep you In my arms evermore The fondness of that relationship that they, they have is just is is touching like i love when joaquin you know after that is like hooking up with that girl in the bar and then he kind of does like a light flirtatious processing kind of referencing it and it's just like the joy he has kind of recreating this in like a completely different scenario is is so i don't know there's something very it's kind of a strange way to like you know express that you know in a way but it is it it, it, it's it's touching because it's just a I don't know. He's using that the sweetness of that intimate moment to remember some other moments, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It is 
It's like funny, like I think works directly with the like analog that you were saying, Eddie, with like the rom com, where it's just like after they meet again, it's like seeing like an old lover and being like, okay, well, like you've learned your lesson from that relationship, but you still cherish that other person deeply, and which is just so like one like I think like very earnestly sweet that like. They have this like fucked up connection, but is just so funny too. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man, I I just love this movie. I can't say enough about it. I think it's just it's so funny to me. It's so gripping on a dramatic level. It's so well shot. We didn't really talk about the visual style, but it's just like you know when he busts out the crazy tracking shots, he busts them out in a more Ophel's way than Scorsese Altman, obviously. Like I said before. But it's it's a lot more staid and focused more on composition than movement. And uh, I think the editing is really incredible, too, in a very sly way. You know, letting things linger a little more. Uh, it's just maybe his best film. It's an easy five bullets for me. It's tough between this one and Inherent Vice for me. But uh, they're both, you know, as five as a five can get. <laughs> No, yeah, this this viewing really unlocked the movie because I always liked it. So I always like liked it a great amount, but uh, it, it, I really, I really just, I never really realized how funny it was. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, it was a great view. I'm gonna go four and a half bullets on this. Um, yeah, I'm going a full five as well. At like logging this on rewatch, it's just like I was hesitant at first because it's like. I the run that PTA has had, I feel like from like this. I mean, I, it's been a while since I've rewatched There Will Be Blood, which I feel like is probably like four and a half, five for me. But this Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, uh, Licorice Pizza, it's just like that's unreal. That's too powerful. Like I didn't, I didn't want to believe the master had such a force that it did, but it is undeniable. And uh, like watching this now and like knowing the output that comes after it, there are so many moments that like predict like elements of PTA style in the future, whether it's just like, like what will directly come after it, where I feel like that, uh, um, the little moment, of uh, Freddy's past that emerges um, in processing there feels very much so um, like some of Doc's memories in Inherent Vice. I, I don't know. It's just a, this is, for me, I'm going to say the start of just like one of the best streaks ever. Um, and it's just a, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I, he really it really does feel like a streak too. Like, like you said, all these movies feel... Definitely, like, almost in conversation with each other. And, uh, yeah, man, like, it is, I mean, it, you know, I'd have to really re-rack it, but, it, I mean, at, at this point, especially for American movies, at, at the very least, best run going, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's been fives since 2007. Yeah. Like, There Will Be Blood Onward is five. That's yeah. it. Like, uh, I don't count the music stuff. Junoon or yeah, whatever? I don't count the music stuff, no. His Radiohead uh, documentary? Yeah, well, it's just, <laughs> no, you know, I know. He, yeah. he, he has special music taste. <laughs> oh yeah, the name Haim. Yeah, yeah, Haim yeah. video. The yeah, yeah. Armand White's Look, his best work, shit. according to Armand yeah, White. I don't give a shit about the Haim videos because it led to Licorice Pizza. Like, true, that's yeah, fucking ridiculous. It's one of his best movies. Like, come on now. 
No, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't. Malcolm, I wasn't, why would you talk <laughs> shit about Haim like I that? Mean, I mean, you were the you were the one who just got. I was they're, just I was just mentioning beautiful that. young ladies from the San Fernando Valley, like yeah. myself. Well, I'm not a lady, yeah. but uh, you know, kind of like if you were a lady, right? Sorry, I don't know that one fell. <laughs> that one landed kind of strange. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> uh, no emails again this week. Ah, I think people fuck. are done emailing us. Yeah, there's no more questions. We're da- not David, do you have any questions for us? Absolutely not. No. All right. Wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> so that is going to do Kind of it. a weird disposition to take there. <laughs> I guess that means we got to wrap up the episode. Yeah, huh? uh, that, that's going to do it for uh, this episode, uh, the fifth double feature of our reunion tour next time timeline a 1930 to 32 timeline b 2010 2008 well 2008 to 2010 guess what we're talking about we're talking about love me tonight and the social network oh i'm i forgot we were doing the social i'm, I'm excited to watch love me tonight of course but yeah no from the first time yeah. jt logged this one a while back and i was like this looks interesting yeah i haven't seen it it's a it's one of rosenbaum's faves as yeah. well i believe it's a i this is going to be i mean i don't know like exactly the similarity that this <laughs> double feature has i feel like they might be more opposites than they are similar films but it's a heater. We're going to have a blast. That's a good I way have to do it, too. I have never seen a movie with Maurice Chevalier in it. What? Yeah. Never seen. What I've never fuck? seen One Hour with You. I've never seen Gigi. I've never seen The Sorrow and the Pity. <laughs> Is it The Sorrow and the Pity? These aren't even the biggest hits. <laughs> Love in the Afternoon. The oh, Merry yeah. Widow. Mary, damn, dude. Well, that's a whole nother level of swag that has not been unlocked for you, man. Because that is, you know, talking about opposites, talk about opposites. Jesse Eisenberg and Chevalier are like probably the most <laughs> opposite in terms of like what makes them interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I had a random song in my head like a couple months ago. And I was like, what is this song? And it's like it, it uses like a child's chorus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I realized... Oh, this is the the cover of Radiohead's "Creep" that's used in the Social Network trailer, which is which is like a an amazing trailer. I've watched this trailer like ten times since I've remembered this. That is like the first half of it is just Facebook posts soundtracked to this this uh, this cover of "Creep" by like a ch- children's chorus. It's amazing, amazing trailer. One of my favorite trailers. You were talking about. American directors on a streak like PTA, I think second might be the Finch Dog. Whoa. No, it's man. Make, no, second, make, make fucking no, sucks, fuck dude. you. Fuck, fuck you. Make. Okay. And anyone who's ever gotten any fin- popularity Fincher on Fincher is on the fourth best American streak right now behind PTA. Makes, makes ruins it. Make PTA, ruins it. Scorsese, and uh, man. Um, because you go fucking like the, the digital era of Fincher. Of course. Is so insane when you go from zodiac social network uh girl with the dragon tattoo gone girl and mank goodbye (laughs) ready stop this is not the time stop don't apologize you're a scoundrel Why are you dressed like this? He's a goth now.